This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Today's tithes and offerings, so if you could turn in the book of Genesis to chapter 4. First book of the Bible should be pretty easy to get there. And if you need a Bible today, our ushers have those for you. So if you'll just raise up your hand, one of our ushers will come and hand you a Bible so that you can use it during service today. You know when I speak, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures, which is a good thing. So it's good to have the Word of God in your hands. Okay, so Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. This is the story of Cain and Abel. And many of you have heard this story, but I want to point something out to you. Genesis 4, 3 says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now, a couple things to note. One, you remember Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's children. And Cain, the Bible says, in the course of time, kind of meaning like whenever he felt like it or when he got around to it. So whenever Cain got around to it, he brought an offering to the Lord. It says, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, Hebrews would have known this to mean the fat portion, that was the good stuff. And it said not only that, but it was the fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. So Abel gave his best and his first. And look what happens. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry and his face was downcast. And I kind of wonder like who Cain was angry at. Maybe he was angry at God for not looking at favor on his offering. Maybe he was angry at his brother for bringing the better offering. But the only difference here, they they both brought an offering. They both presented something to the Lord. The difference was that Cain brought an offering that wasn't his best and that wasn't his first, whereas Abel brought his best and his first. And our God desires the best and the first of everything that we have. Verse six, it says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And Jesus says to him, Father God says to him, why are you angry? Just bring the offering that I've asked you to bring. But he didn't listen. And you remember the rest of the story that he ended up killing his brother because of that anger in his heart. And so I wanna ask each one of us today, where would you rate yourself on a scale of Cain to Abel? Whenever you bring your tithes to the storehouse, whenever you bring your offerings, do you bring your best? And do you bring your first? Or do you bring whatever's left over whenever you've spent all the rest of it? And see, this is something where we can locate our hearts because the Bible commands us to bring our first fruits the very first part. So when you get paid, the very first thing that should come out is your tithe. That's what the Bible commands. And that's the best, that is the first. And then we're like Abel and our offering is blessed. But when we bring the leftovers, or God, I'll bring some to church on the last Sunday of the month if I have any left over. Then we're acting like Cain and then our offering is not acceptable to God. One thing I also wanna share is that it's not about the amount. Did you know that somebody who gives a million dollars to the church is not more blessed than somebody who gives one dollar? And you say, are you crazy? Of course they are. No, because if the person who brought the million dollar offering, if it was their best, and if it was their first, then they're blessed. 
And the person that brought the $1 offering, if it's their best, and if it's their first, then it's blessed. In this passage, God never mentions how many of Abel's flock he brought. He never mentions how much of Cain's crops he brought. It mentions the condition of their hearts. And so wherever you're at, start to be obedient with what you have. Start to bring God the first of what you have. Start to bring God the best of what you have and you will be blessed and God will look favorably on you and your offering. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you're not a God of numbers, but you're a God of percentages. Lord, that you look at our hearts and you command us to bring the best and the first of what we have. God, help us not to keep our eyes on others, but help us to keep our eyes on you and on what you've called us to do. and Help us to be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you have your offering to give tonight, you can always give online, faithchurchlubbock.com. You can also use those red envelopes in the seat pockets right in front of you. You just fill those out, cash, check, credit card, and you can drop them off at the boxes on your way out. Well, okay, let's get into the fruit of the Spirit. This is the last week of the series, and I'm really excited about this one. I'm gonna step on your toes, but it's okay because the Lord's been stepping on my toes all day, and so I get to pass some of it on to you. So turning your Bible to Galatians chapter five, and this has been our theme scripture for the whole series. We have already talked about the first eight fruits of the Spirit. If you missed any of those, you can go back on YouTube and watch them. Uh, we talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. And so that means tonight we get to talk about self-control. So the book of Galatians, chapter five, and we're gonna be in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So those are the nine fruits of the Spirit. And we've been talking about how in order for our hearts to grow the fruits of the Spirit, we have to cultivate the ground of our hearts. We have to let the Holy Spirit till up the ground of our hearts, break up any hardness in our hearts, in order to do that, we have to be teachable and we have to be humble. And then we let the seed get planted on our hearts once that ground is tilled up. And the Bible says in the book of Matthew that the seed is the word of God. And we've gotten a lot of the word of God throughout this series. And every time you're in this building, you get preached the word of God to you. Because Pastor Stormy has based his life around the word and on teaching the word. And as he leads us in this house, that's what we do. We stand on the word. And so that seed's planted on the inside of you. And then we need the last thing to make that seed grow, and that's water. And the water, the Bible talks about in the book of John, that water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit comes and waters that seed that's planted in our hearts, then it grows and we begin to produce fruit. And the fruit that we produce is the fruit of the Spirit. And so the last fruit that we're gonna talk about is self-control. I'm gonna talk a little bit before we get there, but you can go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. That's where we're gonna be first in this first section here. So we live in a society that, uh, let's just say it's not characterized by self-control. I mean, you, you look around and you see a pure lack of self-control almost anywhere you turn. I mean, we're very self-indulgent. We're very self-gratifying. We're very, you know what, if it feels good, I'm gonna do it, and if it doesn't feel good, I'm not gonna do it. I mean, you see all throughout society, whether it's people's health, 
whether it's people's finances, whether it's their parenting, whether it's their schoolwork, whether it's their jobs, people in our society are not characterized by self-control. And so that's why the Bible talks about in Galatians 5, it says, you can live in the world or live by the flesh, or you can live by the spirit, and the two are in contradiction to each other. If we live by the spirit and, and self-control is evident in our lives, we're going to look different than the world does. See, we look at what, what tastes good, what looks good, what smells good, what sounds good, and we just do it regardless of if those things are detrimental to our, our physical health or, or our emotional health or our spiritual health. And we do things that are damaging to us because it feels good. And we don't do things that are good for us because they don't feel good. And so I found this study from americanscientist.org and they did a study of, they started with babies and they studied them for 40 years. And here's what they found. It says, to our own surprise, our 40 year study of a thousand children revealed that childhood self-control strongly predicts adult success in people of high and low intelligence, in rich and in poor, and it does so throughout the entire population. It says there are step changes in health, wealth, social success at every level of increased self-control. The capacity for self-control over our thoughts and actions is a fundamental human faculty, but the inability to make use of that capacity can be our greatest personal failure, especially in today's fast-paced, fast-food world of endless possibility, distraction, and temptation. It's no wonder that every self-help literature shelf is cluttered with promises of greater self-discipline. And so what these people found the study was pretty long, they did it for 40 years, and they found that children who were taught and who developed self-control at an early age were by and large more successful as adults. And the reason they were studying this is because research back then, or the thinking back then, was that childhood self-control had nothing to do with adult success. Only adult self-control did. But they found exactly the opposite. They found that the children who grew up more self-controlled were healthier, Physiologically, they were healthier emotionally, they were better off financially, they had dreams and goals and they worked towards different things, they had less sexually transmitted diseases, less teenage pregnancies, all of these things that, have, that mark certain people, the children that grew up with greater self-control were not as affected by those things. And, and of course it makes sense to us. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go so that when he's old he won't depart from it. But what about for us? Let's say you're, you're thinking right now, oh man, I, was, I did not have self-control as a child and I'm still struggling. Well, there's good news today because the Holy Spirit is our helper. And we can't change the past and we can't change how we were raised and we cannot change what we were taught, but we can change how we behave and how we act right now. And we can change the way that we think and we can change the fact that we are gonna be dependent and reliant on the Holy Spirit from this day forward. Ironically, and this is good news for all of us, we call it self-control. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that self-control is near impossible, but not with the help of the Holy Spirit. Really, we should probably call it Holy Spirit control because when the Holy Spirit brings the fruit of self-control, then we start to notice a change in our hearts, our appetites, our emotions. When we try to do it on our own, we often fail. And I don't know if you guys have ever tried to be self-controlled at something on your own power. I have done that. 
and I have failed absolutely miserably. Actually, the, the gym, the workouts, industry as a whole, this is like their, their business plan. If people were self-controlled, gyms would go out of business. They, they plan for you to go in January, purchase a gym membership, go for about three weeks, and then never show up again. If all of the people that pay for Planet Fitness memberships showed up at the same time, it would like fill the parking lot, you know, shoulder to shoulder with people. And so that's their business model. They recognize that people in our country aren't that self-controlled, aren't that self-disciplined, so they're gonna purchase a gym membership and then never go again. If you have a gym membership and you don't go, I'm not judging you, I don't go either. <laughs> but you know what? That's, that's an indicator of our society. It's an indicator of our human nature. And some of you are very disciplined in exercise and in fitness and in, and in those types of things, but you're not self-controlled in other things. And though there's all sorts of things that we need to be self-controlled in. Maybe it's some, some sort of habit or hang-up or sinful thing that's in your heart. Maybe it's some addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography or anything like that. Maybe it's the, the way you talk to your children. Maybe you're not very self-controlled when they irritate you or make you angry. Maybe you're not very self-controlled in how you talk to your spouse. Maybe you're not very self-controlled in how fast you drive. Maybe you're not very self-controlled in the time you spend on, on, your, on your phone, on social media. Maybe you're not very self-controlled in how much time you spend on video games. And see, a lot of these things, they're not necessarily sinful, but in Ephesians, the Bible says, be careful how you use your time for the days are evil. And so I, I believe a lot of us need to be more self-controlled in the way that we spend our time. So where do you need the Holy Spirit to help you? Where, where do you need the fruit of self-control to take over what's there right now and to change it from the inside out. And only you and God can answer that question. You need self-control in your eating, in your spending or your savings. There's all sorts of areas that we need self-control in. And I love this verse in the book of Philippians. This is one of the very first verses that I had my children memorize. And I say it over them almost every day and I say it over myself. And this is Philippians chapter two, and we're gonna start in verse 13. And it says, for God is working in you. Or this translation that in NIV it says so, uh, it says for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I like the way the NLT says it too. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so I don't know about you, but the things that please God, I have a hard time doing those things on my own ability. I have a hard time doing things that please God with my, my eating, with my exercise, with the way that I spend my time, with all sorts of different areas in my life. I have a hard time doing what pleases God, but this verse says that God himself is working on the inside of me. And I love that it doesn't just say he gives me the power to do what pleases him, meaning I'm able, but it says he gives me the desire to do what pleases him. And that's the thing that I pray over myself. God, give me the desire to do what pleases you. And it says that he, he works in us to give us those things. It's a process. If you have been addicted to alcohol for 35 years and you say, I'm, I'm done, I'm gonna, I'm gonna begin to honor God in my body, I'm done, that next day, you're still gonna desire alcohol. But it's a process to begin to desire the things of God instead of the things of the world. 
If you've been, been trapped in something your whole life, then freedom is gonna be a process a lot of the time. But he is working in me, giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. What a promise. Turn just a few pages to the right to 2 Peter. See, the reason I say that verse over my children and the reason I have them memorize it is because children are very selfish by nature. Children don't have self-control by nature. They're not taught that in the womb. They don't come out with self-control. I mean, my youngest daughter, she's one and a half. As soon as she wants something, she starts screaming, right? I mean, she's not self-controlled at all. But she learns, and we teach her as her parents. And we train her up in the way that she should go. And so God's working in us. Look at this in, in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're in verse 9. And the first part of this verse says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Pastor Stormy's been quoting this verse a lot on Sundays. The Lord knows how to deliver or to rescue his people out of temptation. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced a lot of temptation in my life. The enemy wants to get us off track. The enemy doesn't want you to be self-controlled. He doesn't want you to be self-disciplined because when you're self-disciplined and self-controlled, that means you're making progress, you're doing what's right, you're doing what's good, you're honoring God with your time, with your finances, with the words that come out of your mouth, with the things that you do, with your health, with, your, with every area of your life, you're honoring God when you're self-controlled. And he doesn't want you to be self-controlled and so he throws these temptations at you. And I don't know if you've ever felt the overwhelming sense of temptation, almost like, I don't even think I have a choice here. But the Bible also says that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can stand up under. He will not allow you to be tempted to the point where you cannot say no. And he, in 2 Peter 2, 9, we just read it, he knows how to rescue us from temptation. And so the next time you're tempted to do something, the next time you're, you're tempted to throw self-control to the wind and just do whatever feels good, just quote this over yourself. God, thank you that you know how to rescue me from temptation. Quote Philippians 2.13. God, thank you that you're working in me. You're giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases you. Say those things over yourself and watch God begin to grow the fruit of self-control in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, too often, I think we've, we've set ourselves up to fail before the temptation even comes. But when we stand firm and when we begin to fight against the temptation of the enemy, we're gonna begin to win with self-control. And I love what the Bible says in James. It says, submit yourself to God, that's step one. Resist the devil, that's step two. And he will flee from you. And that applies to temptation. When you're being tempted to do those things, to go back to the old way of life or to, to walk in those habits, those hangups, when you're being tempted to go against what God has told you to do, then you submit to God first, then you resist the devil and he will flee. That's a promise in scripture. And so we need self-control. Turn to the book of Titus. That's back to your left just a little bit. It's a little book, just a few chapters. Titus, then Philemon, then Hebrews. So these promises that we've just read in Philippians 2.13 and in 2 Peter 2.9, that's what we stand on, that God is delivering us from temptation. 
and that he's working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And look at Titus chapter two. This is gonna, we're gonna start in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now it says he offers salvation to all people, but we still have to choose to accept it. It says it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So we go back and we say, what? What teaches us to say no to ungodliness? What teaches us to be self-controlled in this present world, in this evil, evil place that we live in? The grace of God. God's grace. His unmerited or unearned or undeserved favor. You don't have to earn the ability to have self-control. You don't have to have been great at self-control your whole life to start being self-controlled because it's all by God's grace. And when you humble yourself and you recognize, I'm not self-controlled enough on my own. I need you, God. That's when his grace comes in to save us. That his grace gives us the ability to say no. And then in verse 13, it says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so I don't know about you, but I wanna be eager to do what's good, not eager to fall into temptation. I don't wanna be eager to sin. I wanna be eager to please my Father. And it's his grace that empowers us to do that through the Holy Spirit. So the fruit of self-control. So we've talked about all nine fruits of the Spirit now. And I don't know about you, but studying this has challenged me. I mean, even the very first one we talked about was love, and the Bible says that they will know you're my disciples by this, that you love one another. And so we learned that love is the mark of a Christian. People should be able to notice us and recognize us by our love. And all of the fruits of the Spirit that we've talked about, each one has challenged me to walk in that more through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I wanna share with you before we're done with this series, before we close it out, why it's so important to bear good fruit. And I want you to look in the book of John chapter 15. When I was studying this, this afternoon, I was both excited about this passage and also it's troubling for some. But we're believing that God's grace is gonna empower us to live not only self-controlled, but to live with all the fruit of the Spirit in our life and in our heart. So the book of John, we're gonna be in chapter 15, and we're gonna start in verse one. And after we read through this, I'm gonna break down some of the terminology that the Lord Jesus uses here, and we're gonna look at the, the good news at the end. So John chapter 15, verse one, this is Jesus talking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse three, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, 
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's the key. This is the ticket. If you're wondering, thank you for talking about all nine fruits of the Spirit, but how, how do I, what do I do from here? Where do I go? You remain in the vine. You remain in Jesus. And this concept makes so much sense if we're thinking about you know, a physical garden. If we go to a tree branch and cut it off from the tree and lay it on the ground, it's going to die. And the only thing it's useful for then is to be firewood. It's not gonna bear fruit anymore and the fruit that is on it is gonna wither up because it's not connected to the source anymore. And that's why this says you have to remain in Jesus. It's not just about getting saved once and then, then you're good. It's about remaining in the vine. It's about remaining connected to Jesus. It's about staying with him, sticking with it for the long haul. It's about building a relationship with him. It's about staying in your word on a daily basis. It's about praying and talking with your father every single day. It's about remaining in him. And then the promise is that if you remain in him, then he remains in you and you will bear fruit. And did you notice what he said? It says, apart from me, you can bear no fruit. We don't, we don't get to bear fruit, we don't get the fruit of the Spirit unless we remain in Jesus, unless he is our source of life, unless he is what we need, unless we're connected to him. And the scary thought is that, that when we stop producing fruit, when we stop allowing the Holy Spirit to work on the inside of us, then we get cut off from the source. The gardener, the Father cuts us off, and it might seem harsh, but if, if you, I mean, this is the same principle in the natural. If you've got a branch on a tree that's not producing fruit anymore, you cut it off, you prune it. And then he says, those of you that are producing fruit, he says, you get to be pruned. And you know, pruning hurts a lot. And you think, those things that are, that are connected to me, those things that have been there for a really long time, but they're really not healthy, and they're keeping me from bearing even better fruit, you know, that, that relationship that you have, God says, I, I wanna prune that off. Say, oh, God, that hurts. I love that person. We've been together for this long. He said, but they're not good for you. They're not helping you to bear fruit. So he prunes it. And then you say, that job that you really love, but that it's drawing your heart towards the things of this world and away from the things of God. And he needs to prune that off of you. And you say, God, this is my dream job. It's what I've always wanted but it's not making you look more like me. And we could go on and on, and there's so many different examples that we could use. But those things that are, that are connected to us, God wants to prune those things. He wants to cut away the excess, cut away those things that are keeping you from bearing even better fruit so that you produce more fruit, so that there's more love, more joy, more peace, all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. They're more apparent in your life when the Father, the gardener, prunes us. But you have to be open to the process. You have to open up your heart to him. You have to allow him to be the gardener of your heart. So the, 
This year we decided in my family to, to actually have a garden in our backyard. It's a little one. We built one of the raised beds and we planted a few different things. And two days ago, we got to pick our first, we had to have our first little harvest. Some of our radishes were ready. And so we go out to the garden and my daughter is like screaming ecstatic. She is so excited. She's like, daddy, the, the, the radishes are ready. She's wanting to look at them. She's, she's excited, ready to get in there. I mean, she planted it from a seed and then she's helped me water it and she goes out there and looks at it every day. So she sees the fruit now and she was so excited. And so she pulls the radish and my wife videoed her, huge deal. Radishes aren't that big of a deal, but we made it a big deal. And she picks it and she brings it in the house. She wants to show everybody she knows. She's like, I wanna show Mama my radish. So she shows Mama the picture of her radish. So I'm like, well, let's eat it, you know? So I get the knife, I cut it up in little slices and I give one to all the kids. She puts it in her mouth, chews for about half of a second, and then she decides she does not like radishes. So the radish got spit in the trash. But it didn't change the fact that the reason she was excited was because she saw the fruit. She had taken this tiny little seed, and she's the one that put it in the ground, and she's the one that covered it up with dirt, and then she helped to water it, and she saw it when it was this little bitty shoot coming out of the ground, and she saw it when it got a little bigger, she saw it when it got its first leaf, she saw it when it got the next leaf, and she saw the whole process until the process bore fruit. And I wonder what would happen if, if you and I would be that excited about the fruit of the Spirit growing up on the inside of us. That we allow God to have this process working in us. Remember there's an inward process in the tree before the outward appearance of fruit comes. And what if we got that excited that we wanted to tell all of our friends about the fruit of the Spirit working on the inside of us. We wanted somebody to, to, to to hear about all that the Holy Spirit has done in us. And then when we saw that fruit, and you realize, wait a second, I just, I just exhibited self-control in a time where I would not have before. I see the fruit of self-control on the inside of me. I walked in kindness towards this person that I've hated my whole life. I see the fruit working on the inside of me. I, I was gentle to that person who was being an idiot at work today. The Holy Spirit's bearing fruit on the inside of me. And you'll begin to notice this progression and all of the fruits of the Spirit will start to grow in your life and in your heart and people will notice. But we gotta open ourselves up to it. And so if you would, let's go ahead and stand up on our feet. So what we read about in John chapter 15, there may be some of you in here who one, at one time you were bearing good fruit and you could see the fruit of the Spirit on the inside of you, but you're not bearing fruit anymore. And Jesus says that if you're not bearing fruit, that I'm gonna cut you off. Some of you in here might need the Holy Spirit to, to bring any of the nine of these fruits on the inside of your heart, and you would say, man, I, I struggle with self-control, or I struggle with gentleness, or I struggle with love, or I struggle with joy, and I need the Holy Spirit to produce that fruit in me. Some of you, like we talked about today, you really need help with self-control. And you say, honestly, I do whatever feels good. And if something doesn't do feel good, I don't do it. But I need self-control to live a life that God's called me to live. And then there's some of you that need the gardener, you need Father God to prune some things off your life. And you know exactly what it is. You know what things on the inside of you need to go. You know what he needs to cut off, but you haven't allowed him to. You've held on to it too tightly. And so if that's any of you in here, any one of those four, 
where you just need the fruit of the Spirit in your heart, you need self-control, you need the gardener to prune something, or you need to remain in Jesus and you've stopped bearing fruit right now, would you just lift up your hands and we're gonna pray for you. Tell you what, why don't you guys go ahead and come down here to the front. Let's just be bold. Let's be bold and let's ask the gardener to prune things off of us. And if you're here and you're on our prayer team, would you come and help me pray? Miss Alice, would you mind just playing some music for us? I would really appreciate it. Listen guys, whatever the situation you're in, whether you need self-control, you need the gardener to prune something. You need one of, the, one of the fruits of the spirit to be more evident, maybe all nine like I need. Or you really have stopped producing fruit altogether. I believe that tonight marks the, the change. I believe that tonight marks the, the time when, you know what? I haven't allowed the fruit to grow in me, but tonight I'm gonna let the fruit of the Holy Spirit grow in me. So if you would, just lift up your hands and I'm gonna pray and you repeat after me and just mean this with all of your heart and, and we're just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. So say, Holy Spirit, I need your fruit. I don't wanna look like the world. I wanna look like you. So fill me with love, joy, and peace. With patience, with kindness, with goodness with faithfulness, with gentleness, and with self-control. Fill my heart with, with your fruit, Holy Spirit. Jesus, please forgive me for not bearing fruit. Help me to remain in you. Help me to produce good fruit. Father God, give you permission to be the gardener of my heart. Prune those things in me that need to go. Even if it hurts, I invite you to cut those things away. And Holy Spirit, give me self-control. Teach me to live by the Spirit be led by the Spirit and to deny my flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.